Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. All righty. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Catherine Fleming Bruce uh, with me. Um, she's an author and she's also um, the founder of NOSCA uh, Global Commons, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So uh, tell me about your background, um, Catherine. Hi, good morning, and thanks so much for the opportunity to chat. Oh, thank you. Um, I think my background is kind of eclectic. I have interests in um, in addition to history and preservation, I'm interested in politics, as you can see by, by my background. <laughs> I just, I, as you were talking, I, I took a second and glanced at it and realized what I was looking at. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm interested in, positive, in uh, current events and stay very engaged in those things, very engaged in um, organizing and activism, uh, very interested in international affairs as well. Uh, and uh, writing and culture. And so my, my um, educational background, I attended Agnes Scott College in Decatur, Georgia, and, uh, and focused on English and creative writing, but also did as much engagement as I could. And uh, here in Columbia, South Carolina, I did my master's in um, mass communication at University of South Carolina and did some continual doctor, doctoral work there as well uh, in international relations and, um, and philosophy and other areas. That, that does sound eclectic, but I, I, having done the podcast for a couple of years, I've noticed that the majority of preservationists have a pretty eclectic background. <laughs> And, and I, 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 I am in good company. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what 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 drew you into into preserving, um, you know, sites that 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 you pretty much revolved around your interest, you know, the civil rights and 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 uh, human rights and social social spaces. Oh, uh, well, my my um, I was working in uh, public history for a while. I worked with. Uh, one of the early commissions uh, here in the city for preservation for a time. And during that time, uh, one thing I noticed was that a lot of the, the sites that we did have tended not to be noticed in the tourism, uh, with the tourism opportunities that were happening often. You know, people would have their events in hotels and they didn't particularly do the tourism. Right. And at the time, uh, during the 80s and 90s, a lot of the focus was on 
the antebellum period and things of that nature. Right. So there really wasn't that engagement in civil rights. So the opportunity came to do um, some interviews with Majeska Monteith Simpkins, who was a civil rights activist um, during that time. So in visiting her house, I always noted to her that I thought, you know, this would be a great uh, civil rights uh, museum or location after she passed. And, you know, uh, she, she, well, well, whatever, you know, that's for the next generation to <laughs> right. deal with. And then I eventually found myself after other options had fallen to the wayside uh, to leading the project and, of, preser of preserving that building, the, the Majeska Simpkins House. So we worked for that in that for 10 years and that became a historic site. And so now it is, you know, really a, one of the city's main landmarks. Uh, some of the streets have been renamed oh, cool. uh, after Majeska and the scholarship on her increased uh, like two or 300%, which uh, I was very happy about. Yes. Yeah. And other sites have been opened as a result of that. You know, we were often being skipped mm -hmm. as a place where civil rights happened because we really hadn't developed that history. Right. So, you know, in the past uh, 10 years or so, that history has been developed. Yeah, yeah and that was, um, as I was reading, and we'll, we'll talk about it um, in, the, in the questions down the road or, you know, down the, down the line, but that was one of the things when I was reading your, your um, article about, you know, the dilemma of civil rights tourism was, right. I, um, I don't know if you've read it, there's a book came out a couple years ago, um, Slavery in the North. Um, and um, he, he was not a preservationist, he's a political scientist that, that wrote <laughs> the book. And he talks about, he, he accidentally wrote a preservation book is what I say. He, but he talks about how if you don't acknowledge those sites, and you don't, you don't tie the history to the places, mm -hmm. you lose that history. So people then generations go by and people, people don't even realize what, what, what was connected to those sites. Correct. Yeah. And so I think that it's, you know, I, I, I understand that tension, but I think that the preservation is very important to keep the, the, the history in the forefront of people's minds. Right. And yeah. just like uh, the, the building, the preservation of the building, we often noted that there are so very few buildings preserved that are connected to women right yeah. so the fact that that building was preserved kind of launched her into a a greater sphere of recognition yeah uh, both locally and otherwise where some other folks who have not had that building connected to them have kind of disappeared into the margins right. uh, of the public imagination yeah so not only remembering history, but remembering people's places in history right. uh, is an important um, result or byproduct from preserving these buildings. Yes, yes. I think that that's an important work. Um, so tell me about, about your company, Tisnova Global Commons. Well, I, I uh, developed Tinosa Global Commons as a way to do cultural work. So mom and independent uh, scholar, researcher, and cultural worker. So that is a way for me to put all of my work into that basket, if you will. So um, I have partnerships with other institutions. So I help other 
cultural and preservation institutions that are smaller um, develop and build grants. You know, we do projects together and so on. And so that's, that's its purpose. And that was the um, housing out of which I, I did my book. Okay, well, and uh, that leads us right into my next question. So tell, tell me about, about your book, um, The Sustainers Being, Building, and Doing Good Through Activism in the Sacred Space of Civil Rights, Human Rights, and Social Movements. Well, um, I had really put together the story of my doing the um, leading the preservation of the Simpkins right. House. And around night, um, 2003, 2013, yeah, 2013 is when the Birmingham, city of Birmingham decided to have its 50th anniversary and they were planning a lot of events. And some of the other cities, Southern cities decided to get on board. So my city, city of Columbia, um, Memphis, uh, Montgomery, Selma, some other cities um, held a press conference at National Press Club that they were going to be doing coordinating events. And so I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity, not only for me to tell my story about my preservation experience, but also to ask questions about some of the other sites. Right. Because often when we go to those sites, we don't hear that backstory. You know, we don't know. Uh, what happened. And I was amazed to discover that the uh, Lorraine Motel, which is also the International Civil Rights Museum, uh, took about 40 or 50 years to preserve and really? that it was on the auction block uh, at one time. Uh, similar story of the Audubon Ballroom, mm. where, um, you know, it had kind of been ignored, that whole ballroom had been right. ignored for a number of years. And there was only action on it when Columbia University decided that they wanted to uh, expand and, and wow. eventually bulldoze that building. And then there was response there. Uh, the Medgar Evers site similarly um, took decades, you know, and, and for a variety of reasons. So I wanted to, to tell that story and I wanted to um, merge it with some questions that I had about the, not only the value of preservation, but what I would like to see it do as something that would advance social justice. You know, how could these sites do that better? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, a couple of years ago, right before the world shut down, <laughs> yes. we, yeah. we, we were in, uh, we were in Atlanta and we went to the civil rights museum in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that they were, they, they, the storytelling I thought was very powerful. Um, and there were some, there were some parts that were really hard. Um, and I, and I think that that was, I think it's good for it to be hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. And, yeah. And, and, and then I questioned my own, my own bravery. <laughs> That's that, I, yes. I, don't, I don't know if I could be so brave. <laughs> well, we, we might have some other chances coming right now because oh, we have goodness. a lot of things yeah. going on now know, that mirror a lot of things at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, but I was, I was, I was very impressed with that. You know, you go in on the ground floor or you go through, you know, the segregation and then the, the gradual integration. And then as you go up, 
you you know go through the the assassination of Martin Luther King, like all the all the different things tied to Atlanta, and then mm-hmm. on the top floor, um, you you go to like modern day, different countries, different and and I thought it was really it was the storytelling I thought was exceptional. Um, but, and I had never been, I, I've been to the Holocaust Museum, but that's a different type. That's like telling history. And this was more mm-hmm. tying it to, 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 to now. And I thought it was, I thought it was very powerful storytelling. I hadn't been to, to a site like that before. So I just, um, I, 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 yeah, I, 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 that kind of went on. That was just like the thought that I had. Sorry, I went on a team. You know, that's, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. And those, and those sites, you know, those sites, do that powerful work then and and often that's what's at the forefront of the curators and the people who are trying to interpret that experience right for the public uh what i wanted to do in my book was to answer the question how did the site get here in the first place right right and i and, i didn't yeah i didn't know that about the lauren uh, motel i knew that it became a national historic site before the 50-year mark and because of the because of the events but I did not I didn't realize that it was you know in it, it was threatened before that right yeah so. definitely uh and most of the sites were were like that you know mm-hmm. the Simpkins house was slated for demolition and so forth so right. there's often some kind of um threat because preservation wasn't in the forefront right at that time or there was a sense of, you know, this is not a comfortable history and we really want to forget about it. Right. We don't want to dredge up, all, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So um, I had the opportunity to hold a symposium where I tried to connect to and invite as many of these folks who were engaged in that work as I could. So we had that symposium. And from there, you know, I, I worked on the book and produced it. And it's a self-published book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did talk to um, some academic presses and I didn't want to go into the scholarly direction of doing the book. Yeah, I wanted it to have, um, I wanted to speak to academics. I wanted to speak to uh, preservationists and I wanted to speak to the public. So, and those are and those are different audiences. You need to you need to have a little bit of a little bit of flexibility. Yeah, than just so, reporting. Yeah, right. So I did I did have that kind of voice in what I did, and I was also able to do the book in full color. Mm, yeah, and of course that kind of moves it out of the price points of what a <laughs> right. publisher would have done. Because right. actually, um, once I once I finished the book and I was on some of the tours with it. Um, I was in a room of authors and I had my book with me and one of the authors was looking at it and she said, well, how did you get your publisher to allow you to put all these pictures in here and all these guys? You're well, like, I get to do what I want. Because I, <laughs> I was the boss. You know? right. that's, so that, that's how that happened. So, yes. Uh, so it, it, it turned out okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's, I, that's very interesting. I, I, um, I, I, I'm curious about it. I, I will definitely add it to, to my, my reading list. Um, so I know you mentioned your first project that you helped to, to preserve. So tell me about some of the other projects that you've been involved in helping to preserve. Um. Well, the project I'm involved in now is um, the medical office of a surgeon 
a black surgeon named Dr. Cyril Spann. And uh, there's recently been a uh, upload of a uh, article on Wikipedia about him. So people will be able to read more okay. there about him and his contributions to civil rights. But um, he was an individual um, in the 60s who um, was one of the only black surgeons in the state of South Carolina at the time that he was operating. And he would travel around the state uh, reaching out and um, doing these procedures either with some of the um, black hospitals that had just opened because there was still segregation of service uh, or going to people's homes or clinics or, or whatever. So he, he did that. He was also involved in desegregation actions um, in the civil rights period, including a protest on the South Carolina state grounds that became part of a Supreme Court case called Edwards versus South Carolina. So um, uh, he was one of the people who was the behind the scenes support. He paid the, uh, made sure that the bails got paid for all the students who were arrested, over 200 students, and was active in that. So um, we've done the research and put the building on the National Register and now working to do the preservation work on it. I, I, and I'm, I'm just curious from a preservation standpoint, um, is it what, like what age is the building? The building, it was built in 1960. So are you, yeah, are you preserving then to like the 1960s? Is that, are you preserving? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the, you're preserving to the, um, oh, oh, now I can't think of the word, the, um, oh, something significant. <laughs> Can't think of the yeah, word. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the significance. <laughs> the period of significance. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. period of significance. Yeah. That's right. The sixty-one yeah. to sixty-five. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we. So um, we're, yes, a couple of years ago, we were involved in um, working for the Park Service to preserve the Carter Woodson House in DC. Okay. And, um, that was um, uh, he. The house was probably built in the 1850s but mm -hmm. his period of significance was like the mid 1900s so then you know we were debating do we put this cheap hardware back on and the park server was like yes this is he went to ace hardware to get this and we were just we, we were laughing <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's yeah always the dilemma about yeah. how to how to do these things but we we were in that period and and he was also so we had an a and a b okay Period of significance and um, the building being significant and he being as significant civil rights period um, individual. So we were able to focus on both of those things. So I did that and we're trying to um, do this network of medical buildings around the state that supported African-American um, um, access to service. And what more timely moment could we be doing this in? Yes, yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah, and I, I hadn't, I hadn't even thought, um, I hadn't even thought about segregated medical services. So my, my mom, um, my mom is, my mom is black. I'm biracial, and um, she, um, she was born in Nebraska. 
the, the mm-hmm. family moved out of this, her, her grandparents moved out of the South and into, into Nebraska. So they lived a pretty integrated life. And so then what I hear people in the South saying that they, you know, in the sixties were, were medical services were segregated. That like blows my mind because that's not the history I've heard, but it's just a different, it was a different area of the country. Right. And that's, that's one of the reasons why it became a, um, a plank of the National Park Service uh, topics, because the ability to be able to look at the architecture of segregation helps people to understand what was uh, happening. So the fact that he had an office that was separate from his home was kind of a step forward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, At that time as well. So um, and it was kind of connected to a number of others that were Mm -hmm. Uh, in the neighborhood and in the area, but also in other parts of the state of South Carolina. Yeah, that's as he, as yeah. he went around. That's really so. That's yeah. that's really important history. I, I'm glad that you're you're working to save that. And to and, we're, and again, yeah. in the context of the and the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's, yeah. it's very relevant. Now, now, what I'm going to ask you: what time sure. this will air? Because I. There's something else that I can reveal if. Oh, it's... um, let me let me look at my calendar. Give me a second. <laughs> okay. Uh... Okay, I have it up. It will be as it's loading. Um, one more. Oh, I, uh, it would be, um, October 7th. Okay. Terrific. Well, I can, I can, uh, I can let you know this part. Then. Okay. <laughs> um, we, I, uh, I'm working with the, um, C. Williams Rush Museum in, uh, Williamsburg County in South Carolina. And we recently received a grant um, from the museum and libraries um, for a project called Communities for Immunity. And that is going to be a project where museums and libraries work on um, vaccine hesitancy. Mm. Yeah. And we have projects that... Um, are based out of our connection with the community as museums to be able to do that. So our partnership is going to focus on uh, Dr. Spann and other black doctors of the civil rights era and how they, how they overcame uh, some of the crises, some of the health crises of their time, depending on science and using that as a jumping off point for a conversation in our communities about vaccine immunity. Oh, yeah, that's, so uh, that's, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, so we're very excited about that project and um, to be able to, again, um, make that connection with our preservation work and some of the current issues that are happening right now. Yeah, that's, that's I think that that's really important to, it's one thing to preserve the past, but it's another thing to make it relevant. And I think it's really important to make it relevant uh, for people to care and people to buy in and, and, and want to, you know, it's not just a bunch of people, you know, running around telling other people what to do with their building. 
Right, right, exactly right. And changing itself <laughs> to the bulldozer. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so we're so thrilled to have this opportunity. Yes, yes I, I think that's really great. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier your post on the National Council on Public History, um, mm. posing the dilemma regarding civil rights, tourism, museums, reenactments, films, um, and how some people were, were advocating for, instead of putting money into preservation, putting money into the community. Um, right. And, and I, 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 can, I can see both sides of that argument very easily. I could argue both of those pretty, pretty, pretty easily. But what, tell, tell me a little bit about what your thoughts on that are. Well, um, you know, again, it was, it was a interesting conversation because when you're doing your work, you know, you're gung-ho about your preservation work and you kind of think most people are too. And so I was able to connect with Diane Nash, who is a name familiar to many people who know civil rights history, uh, was involved in SNCC and, and other um, programs at the time. And um, she put a little cold water on my, on my enthusiasm by reminding me that, you know, most of the money that comes out of those tourism projects does not go into our community. Right. And so she was therefore not supportive of these kind of projects. And it, it, it took me back at first, but then it was like, you know, that's something that we need to advocate for and we need to ask questions about, you know, and, you know, starting from not knowing how these projects got off the ground and right. what their background is to not really having a sense of, how the decisions are made there, um, who are some of the people, you know, we just kind of assume that they have the leadership and whatever they're doing is great. And we don't feel like we, so that is changing, of course, right. uh, somewhat over um, the, the past decade and certainly the past year or two with the George Floyd um, um, yeah. yeah, protests and pieces and people saying, oh, we need to invest and we need to, uh, divest in some of the things that we were doing. But do we, we do have an ongoing challenge in every community where preservation is happening to say um, what part of that building's uh, funding is going to help the Black community? How can we help them more directly in what is being done other than talking to them about the history? How can we move social change forward how can we um, look at even the, the inequality in terms of preservation? Right. Who's doing the preserving? Yeah. Who's getting the grants? Mm -hmm. And even the grants that are available to, um, to highlighting civil rights and, and uh, doing that restoration of civil rights sites, yeah. um, much of that doesn't go to smaller organizations. Right. You know, it goes to the larger organizations, and colleges and schools that, you know, have big budgets already. So and have grant means, writers and people that can work on that full time. Correct. Correct. But what that means is that there's going to be some parts of the stories that you're not going to get. Right. You know, and, you know, the Majeska Simpkins house is an example of that, because when we got started doing that project there we we got started because there wasn't anybody else who was 
willing to take the project on. Yeah, and, that was that was one of the things I was going to ask you when you're looking at these projects. Is it like a community of people that come together to save them? Is it like a, a diverse community, or what? What? What typically is the, the is it people from the outside that say these 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 buildings can't be demolished, or is it is it like the local community? Well, you know, over time, you know, just looking at these these models that I looked at right. from history. Um, some of it was led by an individual, some of, uh, you know, and I would think of the, um, uh, the, the Martin Luther King site as an example of that right. in, uh, Memphis, uh, and the Majeska site as an example, uh, you have some other buildings like the, um, Malcolm X, uh, Audubon building right, the ballroom yeah. as yeah that that was something that was a result of an action by a large institution right and people responding yeah. uh, and reacting to that and you had some preservationists students yeah. you know so it was a kind of a network of people who had different roles in that and that's described in the book as well so after that you also have people who are uh, then starting to identify sites right. and making a list of those sites and, okay, we need to preserve these or the top 11 or 12 um, most endangered sites. You have, I mean, we had a list like that for the Simpkins site. We just didn't have anybody stepping forward saying, I'm going to do it until right. we did. So, um, yeah, you, you you have, I think, the list now because people are now starting or have over the past decade or so started to do the inventory mm -hmm. of these sites in their communities, but getting the money and investing. Right. And also, again, you know, some of those sites that are invested in being in Black communities means ongoing economic uh, expansion of right. in investment in black communities. So if it's done right, it can have, you know, a wonderful yeah. Yeah. Uh, community development, economic development piece. Right. But we have to make sure that uh, that, that social justice piece is there mm -hmm. and that the economic piece is there so that there is a, a benefit, a financial benefit for black communities in, in uh, this work being done there. No, I, I, I agree. I was, um, I interviewed um, uh, Chancely Taylor. Um, she wrote a book about the Green Book. Um, mm -hmm. And um, she was talking about some of these sites. The worst thing that happened was integration because then the people with money, the Black people with money left. So mm -hmm. that they, so, and, and it left those communities very, um, very impoverished. And, and then the sites, you know, there's, I think there's only, I think 75% have been lost, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Correct. But yeah. And so that when you, I, it makes sense to me to tie the economic um, social justice to, to these sites, because you, you, you need to have a, you need to have a strong community to, to preserve them. Right. And yeah. that's even more critical in the time of the pandemic. Yeah. Where we have had a economic shock to our system. Uh, that is still ongoing. You know, you have uh, this, the jobs are still kind of tenuous. Uh, many people still 
trying to recover from that. You have eviction, yeah. all these things happening. So uh, we have to be able to um, not only continue to maintain the work that we've done, but we have to now look at how do we make sure that the even more critical economic piece, the social justice piece that came out, you know, the twin pandemic, the right. economic pandemic and the racial justice pandemic. Well, and, and I think the pandemic really highlighted for people the inequalities in the country. I, I Very much you know, so. Even, even access to health care is it, it's huge. Yeah, very much so. And now, you know, we have to wrestle with the idea of, okay, well, we didn't, we maybe we didn't want to accept and embrace the idea of having some kind of access to coverage for everyone. But now you have people walking around who don't have access, and that's going to make it more difficult to, to put the pandemic in check. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we um, in, in Lancaster, uh, we have, you know, a, a county run um, nursing home. And then we have, you know, a very wealthy nursing home and the county run had the highest deaths in the whole state. And, and the, the private nursing home, you know, could put everybody in a separate room and they like, I think they had four or five, you know, like it's, it's just the, the, the disparity, the disparity, that's not the right word. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it is eight o'clock. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's early. Um, it's like right in our face now where I don't think that people realized it as much before. It was right, there, right. but it just wasn't right in our face. Right. So we, we have, you know, opportunities now to take our country in a new direction. Yeah. And, you know, all of us ought to be uh, working as hard as we can. Who, who now have seen to bring some of this into fruition. I, I agree with you. So um, t- uh, tell, I, and maybe we've, we, maybe we've already discussed them, but um, uh, from your, your, your vantage point, what are the um, trends and challenges that you see in preservation? Well, I think the most immediate uh, challenge is uh, how to respond in the face of the pandemic to um, making sure we are able to maintain our um, our projects that we have ongoing and also to keep them relevant. Our second challenge is to um, make sure that the buildings that are connected to um, social justice movements, civil rights, black history, um, and race relations, that we protect them and we broaden our support for um, preserving these buildings and also preserving um, smaller groups and independent scholars that are are doing those works that may otherwise be overlooked. And that um, we open and expand our definition of the kind of buildings and the, the voices that can contribute to uh, what needs to be preserved and, um, and how. So I think those are, those are our, our top challenges right now. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, is there anything that you thought of that you wanted to share before we kind of wrap up that as we were talking that I didn't ask you maybe? Oh, 
Well, I, I still think it's important to focus on uh, the sites connected to um, Black women mm-hmm. and that we continue to um, make that a, pri- uh, a priority uh, in terms of saying what role did Black women play and how can we make sure that the sites are there that help people understand that role. Right. So I do want to emphasize that because um, back when we were doing the Simpkins building, you know, there were very few. And I don't know how much further we've we've come into that, uh, to be frank, but uh, that's something that people ought to be looking at. Yeah, I I agree, because I think that, well, it it hits two two places where we don't don't have as as much storytelling. (laughs) Of course, of course. And the other thing I want to say is... um, that the, the book has done very well. We received a um, Historic Preservation Book Award. I was the first uh, Black person to receive that award from uh, University of Mary Washington uh, Historic Preservation uh, Unit. And it is a national book award. So they accept books from around the country. And again, since it was a self-published book, I was very yeah. Um, thankful and pleased to win that award because you know we we did stand up yes. uh, to the academic rigor that um, that other books have offered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right now in about sixteen libraries around the country, so I would really like to see it in all of our public libraries right. and our college libraries, so that everybody can have access to it. Yeah. You know, because um, it is a, a little more expensive of a book. Right. And if it's in someone's public library, they, they can get it at no cost. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and access to information. I, I agree. I agree. I think that's great. Is that how would how would you go about getting that into the library? Would you ask the library for it or would you purchase a copy and give it to them? How would you do that? I, I think um, you can you can do both. Okay. But um you know, you can uh, talk to libraries about acquisition. Okay. Uh, um, and I think at the university library system, there's more elaborate, you know, who can ask for books. So, right. you know, the faculty can ask for books to be added there. Uh, the public libraries, a, a normal citizen can ask for a book to be added. Yes. Uh, some of the books are, some of the libraries are going a little bit more um, uh, electronic. Yeah. So at some point we'll have our ebook ready for them when they do that. Um, but yeah, that's anybody can can make that request. Okay. Very good. Um, and then um, I guess kind of a dovetail. Um, how can how can someone purchase your book? Well, it is on Amazon. Okay. So it can it can be found there. Okay. Very good. And then yeah. if someone was interested in in contacting you, how would they how could should, how could they contact you? Well, you can contact me on the social media platform of uh, Twitter. Okay. So I'm on Twitter at TNOVSA. So that's at T-N-O-V-S-A. So you can follow me there. Uh, I'm on Instagram. Oh, how am I on Instagram? I think it's uh, Catherine Hash Bruce. Um, not, 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 ha- not Hash. The, um, the underscore? underscore yeah yeah Catherine underscore bruce and you can also get a hold of me by email at tnovsa cfb 
G at Gmail. Okay, very good. We'll make sure we have those on our website where where the website or where the podcast gets hosted. So we'll right. we can yeah. go there. We'll certainly welcome followers and for yes. people to reach out and you know uh connect me about you know being on other shows or or anything like that. Happy very to good. do it. Yes. Well, thank you very much. I, I enjoyed our conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you so much as well. And had a great time and look forward to more conversations. Oh, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.